before I begin this morning, I want I I want to inform you. Um, next next week we will complete our series on stewardship, and which will be March first, I believe. Um, also, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper next week. And then on Mar- March eighth. I want to share with you what I'm going to call a state of the church address. Not state of the union, state of the church. Okay. Um, This marks about um, six months or so that we've been here in this interim uh, time. And I have some things I want to share with you and challenge you with and encourage you with. And I won't make the mistake of giving a written copy to anyone. especially if they're elders sitting behind me. There were thousands of people gathered around him, but there were no mics or cameras, a lot of pushing and some listening. And a few of them were his followers. He called them disciples. And Jesus turned to them first and addressed them with warning and comforting and just a word of preparation. If I have uh, taught you by now to make notes in the bulletin that we've provided for you, I'm grateful that you have learned, but this morning um, you can sit back a little bit because we won't get to those fill-in-the-blanks until the end. But I'm going to tell you a story. And if you care to follow along, the story is found in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is teaching, Luke says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered, they began trampling one another, and he began to say to his disciples first, what did he talk to them about? Oh, he talked to them about the leaven of the Pharisees, watch out for these guys. They... What they, what they say out in front of everybody is not what they really do. Verse 4, he told them not to, not to fear. Um, kind of a contemporary message, isn't it? I think fear is so thick among us, among our society. And yet Jesus said, I, I care about you. And the more he talked to his disciples, the more that others began crowding in and listening. Verse 8, he says, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. I want you to speak my word among others. I want you to spread my message. I want you to spread the news about me. But then, all of a sudden, there was somebody in the crowd that came along and had a had a problem apparently with his brother. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Um, Having a kind of a squabble with my brother. Dad died and he left the inheritance. Well, we're, we're not quite in agreement on what we should do with it, but teacher, tell him to take care of me. When I... When I read that, I kind of think of you who are teachers. You ever wonder where some of those questions come in your class? 
if, wonder if they're listening. Questions sometimes seem to come from outer space or cyberspace or empty space. And Jesus is teaching all these things about the leaven of the Pharisees and don't fear because I'm taking care of you like, like sparrows. Fear not, you're more value than sparrows. And uh, Speak a word about me before others and all of a sudden, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. I'm being left out. Um, the interrupter here is interested in his fair share, maybe more of dad's estate. And I, I'm wondering if he was the younger brother or the older. Probably the younger. If he was the older, he got cheated, and he's coming back for his fair share. I wonder if his brother was there in the crowd, kind of hunkering behind people and, oh, this loudmouth brother I have. I want to tell you that it was a custom for people to bring some of their legal issues to the rabbi and have them make a decision on the case. But they mistook Jesus for a rabbi. However, he, he taught, and people listened because the scriptures say he taught with authority and not just as a scribe. So this guy breaks in and teacher, didaskele. Take care of my need. And Jesus said to him, almost just as rudely, Anthropa, man. Just didn't announce him, didn't know his name, didn't say anything to him. Man, who set me up to be an arbitrator for you? Who do you think you are? Who do you think I am? <laughs> Sounds kind of rough, something we didn't think we'd hear from Jesus, right? Jesus' purpose was not even remotely close to helping people get their property properly. Jesus taught an interest in God's interest in detail, didn't he? Um, God knows the very hairs of your number, uh, very <laughs> number of your hairs. He knows all's all about you. He knows these intimate details. But disposal of your interstate uh, of your of your estate—that's not even important. His role on earth was a, not a divider of disputed stuff. Uh, but you know, this wasn't the first time Jesus was invited into some squabbling siblings, was it? You remember Mary and Martha? Lord, tell my sister, and here it's, Lord, tell my brother. wonder sometimes the stuff we bring to Jesus. Lord, straighten this, straighten, straighten my brother out, straighten my friend out, straighten up my wife, uh, just general thing. <laughs> Jesus said, who appointed me to be a divider of stuff over you? And not another word to the man, not another word. Then he turned to the crowd and he said to them, watch out, take care, be on guard against covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's the lesson. Be on guard against covetousness. Covetousness, we learned in Sunday school this morning, was part of the Ten Commandments. And I shared in my class this morning that a teacher once asked his students, if we were to start all over, if you were to be able to start all over with the commandments, 
just erase everything and start over. What commandments would you put in place? Well, probably not murder. That'd be a good one. Don't, don't murder. Um, what would you do? What would you put in there? Pro- probably the first three about our responsibility and relationship with God probably wouldn't even be on our radar. But covetousness? My goodness. Uh, you know, we are so immersed in materialism, we, we wouldn't even see it if it bit us. <laughs> covetousness. Beware of covetousness. One's life, the value of one's life isn't in the amount of stuff he has. There's a bumper sticker out some years ago. You remember? Maybe it's still floating around. I don't know. He who dies with the most toys wins. You know what Jesus' bumper sticker looked like? Well, he didn't have a chariot. Did he? he who dies with the most toys still dies. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you've seen cartoons of hearses with U-Hauls behind them, but doesn't happen. Um, a family went to the to the lawyer after the their father was deceased, and they were asking and asked the lawyer, "I wonder how much of his estate he left." And the lawyer said, "All of it, every bit. Maybe not to you, but he left all of it." You see, the value of life isn't isn't measured in dollars and stock options and bank accounts and 401 levels and accumulated stuff and real estate and leftover wealth and inheritances. But then Jesus told a story. Normally we call these parables. It's not called a parable as such. Well, it is too. And he told them a parable. We call them a parable. Parabole, the Greek word. Bole is the word for throw, like ball. Throw a ball. Bole is in Greek. It's throw. And para, we have para in our society, in our language. Paralegal, paraprofessional, um, para socks. Um, but it means to throw alongside, throw something alongside. So a parable is a story thrown alongside of a lesson in order to illustrate the lesson. What was the lesson? Here's the lesson. Take care, be on guard against covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Let me tell you a story to explain that, Jesus said. And here's a story that he told. The life of a rich man produced plentifully. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. From the scriptures, you see. Eat, drink, and be merry. He didn't, he didn't put on the last part of that like we say. What, what do we say? Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. He wasn't thinking that. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared... Whose will they be then? 
We call this the story of the rich fool, um, farmer, wealthy by default. He may have been a good manager of things, but his land was euphoric. That's the Greek word, close to the word we get, euphoric. It, it was fruitful, it bore well. Um, in other words, he didn't have a whole lot to do with it. And Jesus made the point. I'm going to tell you about a story of a man whose land did very well for him. He was never condemned for being wealthy or for having good crops. That's not there. Please understand that. God never condemned him for being wealthy. But I'll tell you what this guy's problem was. Um, he should have had an optometrist there because he had eye disease. I will show you. He had eye disease. Look at this with me. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will, I, I, I. And then you add that to the ownership issue, okay? My crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. Do you understand to this point what Jesus is saying? You understand his story, what he's getting at? He's, he didn't say, I'm going to tell you the story of a rich man, and it was very bad that he had a lot of money. It's not there, not at all. God never condemns that. Um, he says, this guy thought to himself. The word is uh, dialogizo. If I would dispel that out, you would catch the word dialogue. He had a dialogue with himself. You know why? There's nobody else around. Selfish people have dialogues with themselves because nobody else is there. Selfish people converse with themselves. It's the only company they keep. His problem, was it too much wealth or too fruitful land or too good a crop? No, it was too much self. So what was his solution? Well, you build bigger, you, you get more storage. Do <clears throat> you ever look around town and see all the um, storage places going up? <laughs> Doesn't that say something about us? Yeah, our homes are too small. I don't think so. We have so much stuff. We have to hire to have it stored. And that was his answer. Solution was self-focused. I'm going to build bigger, get more storage, and I'm going to store up for years so I can sit back and eat and drink and be merry all by myself. There's a, there's a passage in that, that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And 1, 1 Corinthians 15 is all about, Paul says, you guys don't believe there's a resurrection. So let me tell you, if there's no resurrection, Jesus hasn't been raised. If Jesus hasn't been raised and all those people, your loved ones, you've said goodbye to and we'll see you again, you're not going to see him again. And as for hope for you, 
You're gone. Nothing. Nothingness. Nothing. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So he's, he's kind of telling them logically what's happening here. And he said, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, and I, and I did all this suffering, if indeed there's the dead aren't raised, the Christ isn't raised, then eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul added it on. For tomorrow we die. You see, if there's no resurrection and we just eat and drink because tomorrow we're going to die anyway and that's the end of things. And a lot of folks around you, your neighbors and where you work, a lot of people think there's nothing after death. We're just gone. Soul sleep or something like that. Annihilation. No. We're going to be very conscious in eternity. But this man thought, well, no, um, I can eat, drink, and be merry alone. And he was called a fool. You fool, God said. That's kind of rough language, isn't it? Fool. Why fool? Because he had an appointment that night. He had an appointment that night. I know there's bumper stickers all around with stuff happens. What if you had a bumper sticker that said, death happens? You'd probably cause accidents all around you. Death happens. The next day, this guy opens up his papyri and wants to check on the Jerusalem stock market. And his eyes wander, wander across the page and he sees your bits and he sees his name. And all of a sudden, stock markets don't mean a thing. He was called a fool because he was void of judgment. He was thoughtless. He had no thought for anyone else. He had not prepared for death. Just personal pleasure and maximum comfort. J.H. Jowett said, The real measure of our wealth is how much we'd be worth if we lost all our money. Now, with this uh, fellow, all his money was left, but not his soul. So I wonder, would this man be considered a fool if he hadn't died that night? I, how would he know? How can I know? We just, we just keep gambling against God's clock. We'll put off dealing with, with the right things and investment and really important things till, till when? Back in 1949, a, a young student at Wheaton College wrote, wrote this in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And seven years later, Jim Elliott gave his life, what he could not keep, to reach Ecuador's Wairani Indians to gain an eternal reward, what he could not lose. And I suppose lots of people called him and his friends who were martyred with him fools. Fools. You try to reach some people that only want to kill you. Fools. Again, I'm back to this. Why, why fool? God calls him fool. First, he didn't consider death. And second, 
he didn't consider that life and resources are for others. After Jesus told his story, verse 20, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and these things you have prepared, whose will they be? Then Jesus says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He wasn't addressing the guy that came with the problem. Not directly. He was teaching the crowd. But this guy was listening. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He is a fool. Well, the next several verses, Jesus back to teaching his disciples. Let me, let me summarize here what he said to them. He said, look at the ravens. They don't build great storehouses, and I take care of them. You're more valuable than the birds. I first read this, and I just said, well, okay, he's taking care of birds. So I put a lovely little red cardinal on the picture. Had to change it because the text says raven. So I hope you can see that little blackbird in there. And then Jesus says, first, look up in the sky at the, at the birds, how I take care of them. Then, then look down below. Look, look down at the little meadow flowers which I clothed with beauty that surpass Solomon's rich silk. And you're worried, you're worried that I can't take care of you? You know, there's another saying we're all familiar with. You can't take it with you. But you can send it on ahead, right? That's what you hear? I don't know. I'd be careful with that one. That sounds like heavenly materialism. In other words, um, I'm kind of building up a, a personal heavenly stockpile for me to continue the same. I got more than you got, but I'm up there. Is that what that's all about? Absolutely not. Being rich toward God, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Instead, Jesus said, and here's, here's his teaching to them, instead... Verse 31, seek his kingdom and those and these things will be added to you. Verse 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Really some, some incredibly basic teaching. I'm so, I'm, I'm so glad, I'm so happy this, this brother came by and asked Jesus that question. Look what we learned because of it. Do I, do I give to increase some kind of stockpile in heaven or just because I love Jesus? Do I, do I sell stuff to increase my clout or because I love Jesus? Do I support local church and missions for a tax break or because I love Jesus? Where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. The man came to Jesus he had a problem that he wanted to get fixed. Fix my problem, Lord. Speak to my brother. Straighten him out. I need part of that inheritance. I need to live. Think they ever met again? Think Jesus looked him up? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. 
But Jesus was looking for disciples, not window shoppers. Followers to serve him and to serve others, not simply to serve himself. I've shared a whole bunch of statistics with you over the last several weeks. Um, Someone has done a lot of just basic math. Jesus taught around 38 parables. About 16 of them have to do with wealth and possessions. Almost half. John MacArthur wrote that the New Testament has more written about money than about heaven and hell and about five times more about money than prayer. Hmm. Then maybe I should be attentive toward what he says about money and how it affects my life. Am I like the brother who was saying, Lord, I, fix my problems. Do something with the IRS. I'm, I'm losing money. Lord says, uh, where's your heart? I know where your heart is because I see where your treasure is. I see where your treasure is. I'm going to find your heart. All right, now you can pull out your bulletin and start writing. What did Jesus teach his disciples? In this passage and elsewhere, the first thing he taught was right priorities. Verse 15, he said, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Possessions is not a right priority. Elsewhere, Matthew 6, he wrote, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Send it on ahead in that way. He taught contentment. How to be content. Verse 27, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is sown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Be content. Paul expressed, I've learned to be content. No matter what state I am, no matter, no matter what the situation. Third, Jesus taught his disciples an eternal perspective. Um, verse 31, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added first. Do you, do you this morning really believe you're going to be around for another life? I don't mean reincarnation where you come back as a squirrel or a toad or something. I mean the life Jesus promises. Do, do we really believe we'll be there? And that we're going to be doing something more than just sitting on clouds and strumming our hearts. So much. So much that that Jesus tells us about heaven, but not enough. He's he's wet our appetite. What's it going to be like? We are going to be there. So, seek His kingdom. The things that, that have to do with with Jesus and honoring Him and loving Him and displaying Him before others to advance His kingdom 
and all this other stuff, I'll take care of you. We'll, we'll take care of those things. He taught his disciples, fourth, generosity. Verse 33, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And if we compare that back in verse 31, then his good pleasure is to give us things too. But sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. I used to teach, you know, I, I'm grateful that Jesus only told that to, to one guy that came to him. How, how do I get to heaven? Well, Jesus said, keep the commandments. I bet you've never shared that as a way to heaven. Keep the commandments, but Jesus did knowing that the guy would realize, that won't help. I can keep all the No, I can't keep all the commandments. It's impossible. Jesus said, one thing your heart is lacking, you're selfish. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And I'm thinking, boy, I'm glad Jesus only told one guy that. And then I read this. He says it to everyone he's teaching. Sell your possessions and give to the, to the needy. That means get rid of everything? No. He didn't tell us to be fools like this guy was. He kept everything. But how are we taking care of those in need around us? Are we taking care of those in need in this body? And then are we reaching out to those around us and in Topeka? And finally, he taught, oh, good, we come back to the word stewardship. Verse 34, where your heart, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You need to be good steward of these things. And if you're a good steward of something, your heart is going to be in it. Your heart is going to be there. Luke chapter 19, Jesus says, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have more. You've been a good servant. You've been a good steward. Um, Peter writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. We, we've talked about stewardship, but we haven't talked much more than about money. Well, we are stewards of our gifts, spiritual gifts we have. We are stewards of creation. Um, we are stewards of the knowledge of God. You know, what I've been teaching about specifically has been stewardship, but that's just kind of a cover. Now I tell you. It's not just about stewardship. Um, it's about discipleship. It's really about discipleship. Um, stewardship of our stuff, of our witness, what about our thoughts, our prayer, life, our employment? That's, that's discipleship. Are we serving the Lord in all of these areas of life? I think there is a, there's kind of a thinking today that, okay, how do I become a disciple? Uh, okay, I found a, I found a good book, and it has 13 chapters, and I get to fill out things. And when I fill out things, all 13 chapters, and get to the end, I will be a disciple. I wish. <laughs> Doesn't work like that. Discipleship, stewardship is part of discipleship. What I do with all my stuff, that's a part of discipleship. How I witness and share my faith with others, that's part of discipleship. 
how I act in my employment, my thought life, my prayer life, all of that is part of being a disciple. Heidi Houston tells of a little girl who was learning to tie her shoes and she was crying. Now, I looked and looked for a picture of a little girl tying her shoes. And no matter whether it was a cartoon or an actual picture, every picture I found of a little girl trying to tie her shoes, she was smiling. When you first learned to tie your shoes, were you smiling? <laughs> she was crying. And her father asked, why are you crying? And she says, because I have to tie my own shoes. Well, it isn't that hard, her father said. No, but I'm going to have to do it all my life. Be good to hear about stewardship on a Sunday morning and we have to be good stewards the rest of the day. We have to be a good disciple this week. It's all of life. It's all of life. They follow two paths, the disciple and the fool. Submission to Jesus in every area makes one a disciple. Selfishness makes of the other a fool. Father, today I wanted to be I want to be counted as a disciple. When I say that, I realize what, what that requires of me. Nothing but full and total obedience, allegiance to you, Lord Jesus. I don't want to be the fool, and yet I do foolish things so often because I too am so selfish. So Lord, day by day, Make me to be a disciple, obedient in every area of life. That discipleship affects everything. My billfold, my savings account, yes, but everything, all of it. As David prayed, Lord, we've been able to bring these things for a house for you to dwell in. But they're all things that you've given to us first. So, Father, even as we give today, we, we give because you've given to us. And help us to be in our stewardship of resources to be a good disciple, a follower of you. In Jesus' name I pray.